Welcome to Bankless Africa, a podcast by Africans on building and innovating Web3 into a new frontier for the people of Africa. I'm your host, Miss Purple, and each episode, I get together with some wonderful people across the continent and the diaspora to talk, ideate, and dream about the bright future of our people. Stay tuned for another exciting episode. Hi, Nicole. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Excited to excited to be here. Uh, I know we've had this, we've been discussing and going back and forth on when to do this. So I'm excited to finally get this in the books. Yeah, it was, um, life happened multiple times, but you know, what's meant to happen will happen when it needs to happen. So I'm very glad we're finally getting to have this conversation. Um, but before we get into any conversation, I would like you to just give like a quick description of yourself. How would you describe yourself? How would I describe myself? Yeah, so I think for me, I would describe myself as very mission-driven uh, in terms of the things I work on. Uh, I would say um, a bit intense sometimes. I've definitely heard that from folks. Uh, those are, I would say those are probably the two major characteristics, as well as I think the last one I would say is energetic. Um, I like to work on things that I'm really passionate about and the things that give me energy. And so, yeah, I would describe that. That's the other thing I would use. Well, I, I would say intensity is something that's very welcome in the space, right? Because it helps you to assert yourself and to get things done. So I hope those people were saying it as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I read it too. I, I, yeah. yeah. Um, there's there's too many things happening happening in the space, right? We, we have to get work done. Otherwise, it's going to go past us. So now is the time to be able to make change in an industry that's growing dramatically. Uh, and if we're not doing it now, when will we do it, you know? Yeah. That's totally true. So just to touch on uh, the Seller Foundation for a bit, uh, how did you discover them? Yeah, so how I first heard about Cello is I was in grad school at the time. And one of uh, one person in the same program as me, he came to orientation and then dropped out. Uh, and he was basically, he basically was employee number 10 at uh, Cello at the time. It was just C-Labs. Uh, it was before the token was public. It was everything was still under development. Uh, so he left, and I think I briefly met him. I didn't even remember that actually because it was so short. Then later on, about like towards the end of the the, the school year, um, he sent a message in our WhatsApp group saying, "Hey, I'm looking for a few interns to work on kind of go to market work uh, at Cello." And I'd been looking a little bit into crypto. Uh, not so I hadn't really looked at Cello, but I had looked at other things in crypto. And so I said, "Okay, interesting. This sounds really cool." So I reached out and the rest is basically history. That's how I, that's how I first heard about Salo. I ended up interning that summer and the fall working on go to market. What exactly would you say you do at the Seller Foundation and specifically with the DeFi for the People initiative? Yeah. So I, my work kind of is primarily focused on two things. So one of them, as you mentioned, is the DeFi for the People initiative. So I essentially help manage that program. So it's a large kind of initiative by the Cello Foundation of supporting different projects to build DeFi uh, protocols on Cello. And so, you know, that's we do that by, you know, providing grants, by um, providing liquidity incentives, by providing marketing support, uh, and then basically kind of facilitating the launches of different DeFi protocols. We also do like business development of kind of reaching out to different organizations and different developers across the world on different projects that they're working on and interested in working on. In addition to that, the other thing I also do is I um, explore different in I explore different and new use cases, uh, particularly on DeFi as well. And what that essentially entails is doing different pilots with our different ecosystem partners. Uh, so, for example, 
Um, we're working on a pilot that will be launching in uh, at the end of April, basically looking at kind of an employer-based credit lending model uh, utilizing um, a DeFi protocol on Celo and in partnership with uh, with Mercy Corps, which is one of a, one of our major partners that we've done a lot of pilots with to explore kind of new opportunities using crypto and particularly with an angle towards financial inclusion. And do you do anything else outside of working with the Celo Foundation? Yeah, the other thing I also do is I work with the Atlantic Council. So that is a DC-based think tank. Um, I'm a fellow at two of the centers there. And particularly on that end, I focus a lot on kind of like digital currency and very much focus on, again, like kind of this idea around like financial inclusion and social impact through through digital currency. Okay, so uh, to get into the, you know, the the body of this conversation, I know you're based in San Francisco. So this podcast is, of course, about, you know, this space, but from the perspective of the African nation or what is going on in Africa or the possibilities for Africa. So can you is can you help compare what it looks like, what DeFi looks like in places like San Francisco and the U.S. versus what it's currently looking like in Africa from, you know, what you've interacted and what you've seen um, in your time in the space so far? Yeah, this is a really good question. Um, so a lot of DeFi, unfortunately, is, you know, as you, as you, this has always been the case with like a lot of like tech development is really being done by places in like San Francisco or New York. Um, that's where a lot of development has unfortunately happened. And why I say unfortunate is because it's very much serving kind of like the crypto whales, right? And like major holders of crypto. Um, and servicing a crypto economy. But in a lot of these instances, it's not really addressing kind of everyday use cases. And so there are some of those projects in San Francisco as, as well as kind of other um, kind of Western countries. But I think the, the big challenge here is thinking about a lot of the DeFi development has really been focused on just servicing a crypto economy. Whereas I think a lot of the development in Africa is focusing a lot more on everyday use cases. And I think that is where in my mind, is where DeFi has to go. And so for me, sitting in San Francisco, I'm actually, I can't claim to be an expert in the local experiences uh, across different countries in Africa. So how I usually work is I work closely with our different ecosystem leads um, at Celo, at the Celo Foundation in terms of understanding like what they're seeing in the market. What are those real challenges? Working with local partners and seeing how different things that are built in DeFi and in Web3 can help address some of those challenges. That's a big piece for me. And I think in terms of really looking at what's happening across Africa, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, a few different protocols that I've been kind of interacting with heavily on this are, for example, Kotani Pay, where they've created a mechanism to basically interact to with smart contracts using your feature phone. And they basically created a connection between M-Pesa and the Celo blockchain. That's incredibly helpful, right? Because from then you can then think about the ability of making payments without having to have a like, a smartphone, um, but instead it can just be a feature phone and then directly converting to M-Pesa. That's incredibly powerful. I was talking to another friend. Um, we're, they're not working with Celo, but operating in similar spaces, a company called Goldfinch. Uh, and they're doing a lot of work also across Africa in terms of lending. And I think that's the type of real world use cases where I think DeFi can really go. Uh, so I'll pause there. But yeah, those are the stuff I'm really excited about. But I think there is this challenge of, you know, like, if projects are being built in, let's say, San Francisco, it's not necessarily going to address those use cases on the ground in other parts of the world. 
Now, as a I'm a I'm an Mpesa user myself, so that's <laughs> it's phenomenal news because every you know every corner every sh- uh, corner that has a shop or or anybody who sells anything, be it in town or in the mountains, anywhere. Everybody in this country knows what Mbesa is. And I'm in Lesotho and Mbesa is literally almost, it takes over this entire continent. So that is a phenomenal thing to know that there's, you know, such possibilities that are in the fray and and possibly coming to pass sooner than we thought. So you, you're mentioning that a lot of these things or these developments are built in places like San Francisco and, you know, the more developed places that are more attuned to the use of technology and adapting with the technology. Is there a way for Africans to get involved in those spaces or would it require somebody who's physically there? Have you been able to interact and work directly with people outside of Celo, you know, not just the people who are employed there or living there, but are you finding people, be it online or in Discord or whatever, from the African continent who have the know-how and the expertise to actually get involved in this? Or is this just going to have to be a thing where we start everybody from scratch to get them on board? Yeah, I think in this case, I've actually started to see other, um, not just within this, like not just working at Celo, right? But more generally, people who are able to kind of get involved and build things. And I think that is comes down to kind of in Web3 and in crypto, like the open source nature of products and projects, especially kind of as we've seen COVID kind of accelerate is like the ability of working remotely. And so I don't think actually even looking at my team, there's a, there's some of us in San Francisco, but the, a lot of the team is kind of spread out around the world. Uh, and so in that case, it really ends up being a very distributed model. And I think similarly, when for, for people who are looking to kind of create these kind of real products that they're like, Hey, like, this is what is needed where I live. Um, there is a real opportunity for that. And that's, you know, like we've organized the cell foundations, organized hackathons, um, in different countries. I know Cardano has done the same polygon has done the same other L ones have also done the same. And I think these are great opportunities, right. For, for folks to get involved. And I did want to also note, you know, like there is a distinction here that it's like, it's not just always just an engineering solution. And I think that is something we have to distinguish here is that it's not just creating a technical product usually doesn't solve, doesn't solve the problem. It's also kind of thinking about the execution piece. And so in this case, it's also, you know, like we're having like different uh, people on the local ground being like, Hey, like these are the problems and here's how we can actually make this work. Here's the integrations, here's the partnerships. Um, So it's even taking kind of an existing protocol that's already there and saying, what if we tweak this for a different purpose? And you can, because the code is open source. And so we're seeing some of that. And that to me is, is particularly exciting as we think about like where Web3 can go. So on the on the Seller Foundation page, um, there's a little one liner written down underneath every person's um, image. And yours says, reimagines financial inclusion. Now, this is a financial inclusion is a phrase or a term that we've had we've heard so many times in this space. And I want to hear like an official, def- well, not official, but your definition of that, having been in the space and, you know, working in it, what is, what is financial inclusion? Yeah. So for me, financial inclusion, you know, this word has been thrown around a lot. And I love that you, I love that you noted that because I think historically in my mind, financial inclusion has always been somewhat of this top-down approach, right? That it's been like, oh, you know, if only like all we have to do as a centralized entity with a lot of money is we just need to say, Hey, like, just 
like let's make let's make financial inclusion possible, right? And it comes down to things like, oh, we need to educate people uh, so they can manage their finances better, um, or we need to give them this new product, right, so that they can use our product, and our product is going to solve financial inclusion. For me, the what I'm excited about financial inclusion and really why I got involved in Web three and crypto is because. Really, I think the opportunity here is for, for more of an ownership by people rather than relying on centralized entities. So in that case, financial inclusion is basically giving those tools and means of payment and all those things rather than ownership from any centralized group. It's, it comes down to the, to the people themselves. And that's a very different model. That, comes, that allows for more of a community-based finance model. And that's something we haven't seen for some time. Or it's, we've, seen some, we've seen a lot of like really good work on it, but... I think there's an opportunity to really proliferate that and make that far, far more expansive and uh, give basically habits so that people have ownership of their own tools. That for me is kind of thinking about financial inclusion. So that way folks around the world have complete control over their own assets and have the control of saying, here's what it's used for, here's what it's not used for. And here's the development of where this will go in terms of how it's used rather than relying on anyone else. Now, with countries that use, you know, different that use currencies and exchange rates that are obviously different from the dollar, this financial inclusion is going to be something that's going to take a lot longer. And it's uh, the, the, the minimum threshold is going to be more difficult for people to reach because, you know, standards of living and all of that stuff. So is there a way to combat that? Or is it just kind of a matter of patience and just hoping that people eventually get in or is there a way for people to work around that because you know like I know for me for example I don't use that we don't use the dollar where I'm from right but I'm heavily involved in the space but for me you know getting involved in anything whether I'm buying a single dollar or I'm buying Ethereum or Solana or whatever it is that I need to buy it's a heavier cost on me because $20 to you is not 20 of whatever currency I'm using. I have to multiply that, you know, exponentially. So it's going to be difficult for people to just get in as easily as other people who are able to use the dollar. So is there a way to combat or bridge that entry or is it just a waiting game? It shouldn't be a waiting game. Um, because if the, the, just waiting for it to happen, I don't think is probably the best way. And it, it's fascinating. I was talking to one of my colleagues the other day that it's like, you know, like, in traditional finance world, right, there's been this entire conversation on the role of the U.S. dollar and dollar hegemony, right? And that's been the case since Bretton Woods uh, back in, what, the 70s or 80s, maybe a little bit earlier. Um, and it's always been dollar denominated. And it's fascinating and, and in my mind concerning that still so much of stable coins and everything is still dollar denominated, right? It's USDC, it's um, UST, it's... Um, it's uh, it's it's tether even on Celo for our, our biggest circulating uh, stablecoin is CUSD so dollar dollar as well. Whereas I think what the real opportunity here is again like thinking about stablecoins that are tied to other currencies. So for us, for example, we recently launched the uh, Brazilian real a stablecoin tied to the Brazilian real because there was a really strong demand amongst our community in Brazil saying, hey, like uh, there's interest in launching a stablecoin tied to our local our local economy for our country. Um, and I think that's the opportunity here of creating these new stable coins that actually are directly tied to the local economy there, right? So these are community tokens and like local tokens rather than relying on a US dollar. I don't think a US dollar and just, just only having a US dollar doesn't entirely make sense for me in terms of kind of this long-term direction of, of crypto. 
Um, and there's different designs for where that can be done. I was, even another project building on Seller I was talking to last week, Dunia Pay, uh, there in West Africa. Um, they have a, they basically have a token that's kind of that's tied to the um, local currency. And so in that case, instead of using the U.S. dollar, and I think that's the direction we can go. And I think there is opportunities to kind of build out that type of ecosystem and utilize the right protocols that allow for kind of local currencies within that design rather than only relying upon, you know, like a dollar offered by like one, like the dollar denominated stable coin that's offered by um, most other L1s right now. So the concept of DeFi, uh, decentralized finance, how would you say, what would you say it being success? What does it look like for DeFi to be successful per se? Yeah, it's a tricky question. So for DeFi to be successful, this is how I've thought about it, right? Is for DeFi at the end of the day to be successful, what problem are we trying to solve? In my mind, it's a few different things. One is instead of relying on centralized institutions to facilitate all of finance, can we instead have that decentralized? Now, why would we want it decentralized? So the value of decentralization here is one, lower transaction costs, right? So cutting out a middleman who's profiting heavily from these types of transactions and instead saying, actually, what if this profit is instead spread out amongst all the different users of that DeFi protocol itself. Um, that's quite powerful and can be really powerful in terms of lowering transaction costs. And I can dive into like how, like an example of how that could be in, in just a second. The other piece here too is not just kind of transaction costs, but also ownership. Um, so how do we make it so that can DeFi can be successful if it's across borders, uh, across community, both within communities and across communities and owned by those people um, in and the governance of that, right? Like the actual direction and development and uh, overall governance of these protocols and how we want a new form of finance to be, I think there's an opportunity there. And so that to me is another really critical piece of how DeFi can be successful. And the last one, of course, is it has to hit everyday use cases. It has to connect to things that we actually do on a daily basis that we really need. Um, not, not something that's kind of servicing an economy that we don't necessarily have access to. And it needs to be easy to understand, right? It needs to be something that like anyone can really use rather than it being like something that only a certain amount of folks can use because, you know, it's like it requires a certain amount of internet connectivity or a certain amount of like uh, already like existing financial resources to be able to access. That's the case. It's not inclusive. And so going into kind of like that piece on the transaction cost from earlier, one pilot that we're working on, right, is if we think of traditionally for microfinance, um, interest rates at least are around 30%. Right? And payday loans are incredibly high, right? It's substantially higher. And so one of the pilots we're doing is we're saying, hey, like, you know, like there's already community networks and community trust, right? We know that across communities. And we also know that there's relationships between an employer and an employee. So what if we design a mechanism in which an employer, when it, where an employee can get a loan through an employer? That's already being done, right? That's already being done across countries uh, in different places. Um, but in this case, what if they use a protocol? And the value of using a protocol is that market rate for that um, that loan is is substantially lower because it's it's decentralized and distributed across a number of different folks, which has then reduced the risk. So in this case, with this pilot, we're able to basically take a loan which normally from a microfinance institution would be thirty percent, and instead drop it down to about five percent. Um, and by the way, paid out in Mpesa um, to a feature phone. And I think that's the opportunity for something like this when we think about transaction costs and we think about how do we make finance more accessible. 30% interest rate is, out, is incredibly high and far too high. 
Um, especially in the context of, you know, like most companies can in the US, even if they're like not don't have a good credit rating, can borrow it around 12 to 15 percent. But someone who has networks within their community but doesn't have collateral necessarily to post themselves has to pay 30 percent. That doesn't make sense to me. And I think that's where DeFi can actually help address. Uh, a bit of a sore point personally for me. I know you touched on this a little bit earlier, but is do you think um, organizations or or I guess systems like Mbisa could be a way for more people to be able to access their crypto outside of just you know the Celo Foundation? Because I know if I have my my funds in my MetaMask or Coinbase or Binance or KuCoin or whatever it is I'm using getting that money out once I've put it in so that I can use it is complicated. And the main reason that I may need to get it out is because there isn't anywhere in this place, at least where I am, where I'm based, where I can just straight up use crypto for transactions. So uh, is there a positive outlook in terms of finding ways for people to access their earnings and actually be able to use them? Or is it just going to, for a long time, unfortunately, be a tedious process? Because like with Coinbase, for example, I cannot withdraw using Coinbase because it is not yet accessible to my country and to quite a few countries in Africa. So a lot of um, systems or or uh, yeah platforms tend to do that where we are the last to be thought of because we're so little. So it's as if we, we don't matter. So I'm wondering if maybe that's a thing that's a bit too far off because people are more focused on building the other stuff and not so much trying to get us to access our funds or how do you think that's going to play out? Yeah, I love this question. Um, I don't think it's talked about enough, uh, especially from like, like when we think about all the hype in crypto uh, and I like look at like the news, I don't think this is talked about enough, but there is, I do want to say that there is like really good work happening on this. Um, but I think you're right. I think you're spot on, right? That if, if it's just crypto sitting in your MetaMask wallet or if it's sitting in your crypto exchange, you're not able to do much with it, right? Like at the end of the day, what's the point of it, right? Like it's great if you're like playing around with protocols or you're like, oh, let me like invest in this and, and earn. But the potential of like, if we're going to talk about DeFi and we're going to be honest about kind of payments and DeFi and cross-border transactions and reducing transaction fees. And if we haven't done the work to actually do these payment integrations, then it doesn't work. And so yeah, the... Off-ramps are an incredibly critical piece to all of this, right? It's connecting existing payment providers. It's, it's connecting kind of already existing payment solutions to crypto. So that way people can interface back and forth. And there is really good work, I think, happening on that. So for example, we did a pilot in Grameen where we partnered with, um, where we basically utilized um, Valora and then also Paymaya, which is a payment provider in, uh, in the Philippines. And so for there, basically what we had designed was a mechanism in which um, people who were spending through Valora could also convert that to the local Philippine peso, uh, basically using a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, exchange uh, that was kind of integrated. I think uh, some of the centralized exchanges are also working on these types of integrations of, okay, so, you know, like you might have your, uh, let's say your coin, let's say your, your, your OKCoin like wallet or something, or your OKCoin or even your MetaMask wallet, right? And then from there, how do you then integrate that with your local, let's say your local um, payment provider? And a centralized exchange can facilitate that. Uh, they can basically do the exchange on the back end. And we are seeing that. So we are seeing that across the, across the world, a lot of different centralized exchanges, particularly in kind of some of the leading countries on 
in other countries on crypto, so not outside of the United States, are really kind of pushing forward on that because that is how you get crypto to actually be useful in a lot of these everyday use cases. And we were seeing some of that adoption already. And I'm particularly excited about that because I think that's where that's where I think like we should be going, right? Is how do we start connecting these different pieces to those kind of like ways so you can actually spend and use it on a day-to-day basis? Now, I mean, with outside of that issue of, you know, people not being able to really uh, off-ramp their their DeFi earnings into their, you know, regular lives, crypto and DeFi itself is not a topic that in general is widely talked about in Africa either. And I mean, at least not as widely as, as it may be in San Francisco or Brazil or wherever else, um, because other countries have seen in some way or another a type of adoption of Web3 in, in its in its, you know, in its own format or whatever, um, in the Philippines, a lot of them went into gaming, you know, given like Axie Infinity and all of that. And then in other countries, they just went through it in their own way. So can, does DeFi really stand a chance of flourishing in Africa when so many people have no idea what crypto is and it still needs to be something that's taught to people. And for a lot of them, it seems very much like it's just a scam, can it flourish or do we need to first be concerned about educating people before we can be concerned about actually making them successful in DeFi? Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely think that DeFi can succeed in, in across Africa. I think that is, I think DeFi has, there's so much potential here. I think the real challenges are that of why we haven't seen it as much, I imagine is one, I think there is the education piece, right? Like a lot of it looks really convoluted or it may not make sense or there's like there's like real risks, right? Like if you have something that's an incredibly high amount of yield, um, the real question is, is why? And there's a lot of speculation in within that market. So I think there's one, the education, but I think it comes down to the, uh, the earlier thing we were talking about too is what are those use cases? Um, if the use case isn't there, you're not going to get the adoption. If the integration isn't there, you're not going to get that adoption. But there's a, so much potential in terms of what it can do. And we are seeing some of that happening already. I talked about, I mentioned Goldfinch earlier, and I think they're doing a really good job on it. Um, I was talking to another group, not in Africa specific, but uh, Ethic Hub is working with farmers through like DeFi lending. And they're, um, they're doing really cool work. They were, when I, I talked to them, I think a week or two ago, and they were at the time in Mexico working with farmers there. But I think it does require that on the ground approach, right? It requires the on, on the ground approach and actually being like, here is exactly how developing a protocol and making sure that it actually is serves some purpose for everyday use for those those real world use cases. And I think we haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen a lot of that yet. And that's that that I imagine is also why it hasn't really picked up yet. Um, but we're we're in the early phases, right? It's still very early. Uh, a lot of this is being sorted out. You still need those payment integrations pieces that that have to happen, and that takes time because that's working with a lot of kind of like centralized institutions that you know have their have their original database and have their existing network and those pieces those tech integrations can take a lot of time and takes a lot of buy-in uh and so it's i think it will still take some more time but i think we are on the way and i think there's a lot of potential in terms of how this could work um and there's a lot of work happening on that too uh, so recently in the u.s specifically president biden released a um I guess you can call it a mandate or whatever it's called. Sorry for the terminology, but something that essentially says that they're going to do more research and, of course, you know, focus on trying to find a way to cement themselves as, you know, financial 
powerhouse in the crypto space. And I'm curious then to know if politics is going to have, if at least in your opinion and from you know what you've seen, if DeFi is going to be largely controlled and depend on politics and, you know, be susceptible to things like corruption and all, you know, stuff like that, because, you know, people are known to or people are suspected to be hiding their earnings into crypto so that they may, you know, evade tax or anything like that. So with things like and concepts like corruption and politics, does DeFi really stand a chance of standing on its own without those influences? Or is it bound to be influenced? Because I mean, everything is influenced by politics in one way or another. So this is this is my opinion. Um, I think it'll still be influenced, right? Like politics will always play an influence in terms of different industries. And the reason why is like they politics determines like the regulatory frameworks and it determines kind of like what are those regulatory pieces that are put in place. Uh, and that, you know, can range from like the KYC, know your customer laws, anti-money laundering laws, what constitutes a security, um, enforcement of these different items. So there's always going to be politics involved. Um, the question is, is kind of how does that shape up, right? Uh, that I'm not sure. In terms of this, uh, I haven't read through all of the, the material that the, the Biden um, administration put out. But the initial step here of my understanding is a lot of that is like, hey, like different agencies need to like do this different research and take ownership in charge of these key questions. And that's a good first step. Uh, for me, I think it's like making sure that there will always be, you know, like corruption and things like that. But at the end of the day, are these decisions that are being made by regulators, are they educated? Are they well understood with the nuances of the technology and where it's going? And how does that affect people. Um, I think this is like always a challenge, right? Are you going to be own, like overly aggressive on regulation and then prevent basically anyone else from accessing it other than again, kind of your cherry picked centralized institutions who are now the winners of it? Or can we make it so that there is a lot more ownership and actual power to, to people in like where this is going? And that's going to be really important. Uh, for me, I think even like I think there's always going to be a place that crypto can play, whether there is kind of regulatory approval or not. There is kind of that permission aspect and there's privacy tokens and like the ability of a government to not be able to fully block. But it's going to be so much more difficult if a regulator does decide to like take an overly harsh regulatory stance, because then it's difficult for, you know, those payment integration pieces to happen. It's difficult to kind of go from uh, your your MetaMask to your to paying at a local store to like going to your bank account, your actual bank account and things like that. It'll only make it more difficult. Um, but it does look like there is growing support and kind of a growing belief that crypto is here to stay. Uh, whereas a few years ago, um, I remember talking to some folks who used to work in government and they're like, crypto's not going, crypto isn't real, it's not going to stay. Uh, but I think there is kind of growing understanding that, hey, this is here to stay and it will play an important role in the way uh, we think about money moving forward and we, the way we think about society, to be honest. Of course. Have you encountered any resistance in your work and your mission to to define financial inclusion? A little bit. Um, I think one of the big challenges is, um, you know, like some of those things for like on-ramps and off-ramps, right? And the resistance there is, you know, like if you need for an on-ramp or off-ramp to happen, you might have to go to a centralized institution. And so then there can be challenges around, are they worried about regulatory issues? Are we as an organization, are there regulatory issues that we have to, to be aware of and that we can't really kind of 
work in that space as a result. Um, so there's definitely challenges at times, but I think it's kind of like as we get more regulatory clarity, that starts becoming a bit clearer. Um, I think there's a lot of support around this kind of financial inclusion piece. The question is, is like, how exactly is it done? Uh, and there's always this question from from other from other folks who are like, does this need to happen through like Web three, or should this can this instead just be done through Web two? In my mind, Web three has a better solution, which is like, why do we have to try? In you know, my, for me, the question is, is like you know, like the the question I'll get is is like, why do you need to de- have a decentralized model for this? My response is, why do you need a centralized model for this? What if we can have the same model but decentralized? Why are we why are we relying on an, on a centralized model for execution? And I think we're starting to see more of that kind of uh, more people coming around to that, but it's still a challenge sometimes. Now, you you mentioned this a bit earlier that you, you think, you know, the sentiment globally and, you know, around different places is that crypto is definitely now either here to stay or it's going to be here for a while. So we better, you know, kind of get used to it. How long do you think it will be until we see a full exodus move into DeFi where everyone is just essentially operating and functioning in DeFi and, you know, fiat is something that's more of a unfortunate thing that people will use because of a lack of access? I think I actually land with the view that we're going to have both traditional and decentralized institutions. I think we'll have kind of, you know, like traditional finance and fusion. Yeah, tradition. Exactly. Traditional finance and decentralized finance. And the same way we'll have, you know, centrally organized or like central organization as well as DAOs. Um, I think you're going to have that inter- that inter- interaction between the two. So for me, I don't know if there's going to be a full exodus, but I think you'll have maybe it's 50-50 or maybe it's kind of like one over another. I'm not too sure on the exact timeline for that, but the way I envision the world is like, we'll have both of these kind of going back and forth. And then, you know, really people will have the choice, right? Of do they want to go to a, a centralized an offering or do they want a decentralized offering? And there'll be value on either side in terms of determining like, what is the actual like product that you want or what is a use case? Okay, so um, in closing off this wonderful conversation, I'm curious to know if there is something that you wished people knew about the work that you do and the space that you're working in. It's, uh, it's a good question. So what I want folks to know about like kind of uh, our work for Cello as well as like my work in particular is I think for us, we're trying to be very intentional in the kind of use and growth of crypto and stable coins as well as the use and growth of DeFi for me particularly. Um, and it's not it's not easy. And I think for us, it's like, I think we're quite, I like I, I in particular, I'm quite open to like the feedback saying like, hey, like this actually isn't good or like this isn't the right way to do it. And I like encourage folks to kind of reach out and be like, hey, like, why are you doing it this way? This way would be much better. Um, and I think that's something that I like have as a call of action to anyone who's listening is like, please do reach out, right? Like, if you're like, this could be done better, like this is something that we want to explore in our in our local economy, here's how we're thinking about it. Because from us, for a foundation, we can only do so much. And a lot of the decision-making shouldn't really be done from by us, right? Like, I don't know the local experiences on the ground, nor does a, a number of other members of the, found, of, of the foundation. It just depends on where the location is. And so I think it's, for us, it's like, we're trying to be very intentional in like how we go about this. And so as part of that intentionality, it's also an openness of having others kind of engage with us and say, and the, pu- the pushback as well as uh, the push forward where you think it makes sense. And I'd love to kind of get more around that. 
And how can, is is the community able to contribute to what the Seller Foundation is doing and, you know, any other work that you're involved in? Or is it kind of a, uh, it's, it's a company mission, it's a foundation mission, and you are going to see it through yourselves as the foundation? Yeah, we're definitely not going to see through it ourselves, only by ourselves, if, if, given our mission. Um, in terms of how we think about it, right? Like, you know, like for us, we have the ability of the community proposing different stable coins. Um, that's really important, right? Because if there's demand and people are like, hey, we really want a stable coin in our local country because of this like important use case. And we have these partnerships of like how this can actually be used. We don't actually control the proposal for that. Like that can come from the community. So that's one way. The other way too for me is, you know, like I've been really kind of trying to get more DeFi protocols that actually kind of address these everyday use cases rather than, you know, like some other type of thing that just is focused on yield farming. And so I think that's an opportunity of people who are like, hey, like I want to actually build this because I know that this is really what needs to be done. And like, I see this every day as a problem. Those are the kinds of things that I'd love to, I'm ha- like that we like love to see and are like very supportive of and like are happy to kind of provide grant funding as well as like provide additional resources. Like we have education resources, we have an accelerator program uh, we have partnerships with the different venture capital funds. Um, we have grants as well. So like kind of supporting that development from others. And that's, we're happy to kind of support that. Uh, and the last piece is, you know, like, even if you're not someone who is, you know, like Web3 savvy, I think there's, I think for us, it's like a big emphasis of how do we get folks who aren't familiar with this? Like, how can we help them like learn about it? And like, what are ways that like aren't risky and you can still learn about it? And so for us, it is kind of this more like, how do we get other people across the world interested? And we have ecosystem leads in across different countries. So we're happy to kind of also connect you to those ecosystem leads as they kind of organize different things and work on partnerships and uh, kind of work across different places. And final thing that I like to do with the guests on here is ask you to describe how you feel about the space that you're in. Of course, for you, it's DeFi. Describe it in three words, how you're feeling about it, um, be it right now or how you're feeling about its future or what exactly it means to you, any of that, just in three words. So the first one is hopeful. Mm-hmm. i trying to think of the second one. Um, I would say curious. Mm-hmm. And the last one is energized. I like that. And one thing that I'm actually noticing is a lot of the people I ask for these three words, hopeful seems to be the first word that everybody mentions. So I'm very excited. I think it's that just shows that the entire space of Web3 and DeFi and everything in Web3 essentially is a place that people feel, you know, there's a lot of hope that just kind of moving about the space and I think that means we should be expecting to see a lot more innovation, you know, innovation that is for the people, by the people. And um, thank you so much for all the work that you do. Thank you for sharing, you know, your work and your feelings and opinions with us today and for taking the time for us to finally be able to have this conversation. I truly, truly appreciate you. I know you're a busy man, so I really appreciate every second that we've had on here. Is there anything else that you would like to say for the listener or to your cello team or anyone really? Just wanted to say thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you for having me as well. I know um, I know the time difference is, is not always easy, and I know it's a bit on the later end for you. Uh, so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thanks for reaching out as well. Excited to have this conversation. 
um, and look forward to kind of continue seeing what happens. Um, I'm happy to kind of connect with any folks who are, who are building new things or want to learn more. Um, but at the least, thank you all for joining and, and thank you for having me. Thank you for spending another episode with me. Just a reminder that none of what we share is financial advice, only opinions of the individuals that make this show possible. You can use the links in the show notes to do your own research. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and give us a rating on whatever platform you're listening from. We are our own wildest dreams, the hope of our own tomorrow. So until next time, keep innovating. Keep innovating.